pray in. Now there's, if Katie shares anything of what she shared at the nine o'clock, there's loads of good stuff in this sermon and, and some weird bits from her childhood. Okay, um, but let me, um, let me pray for her right now. Father, I pray that you would bless uh, Katie as she shares with us. Pray that you would, as well as, we, uh, as she shares with us, that you give us ears to hear what you might have for us today. And so uh, anoint this, bless this, use this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> you were wondering, what is she going to share now, aren't you? <laughs> so um, as I was preparing for this sermon, um, I was thinking about what it would have felt like for the people of Israel in Babylon. And um, you know when you get a memory that pops into your head and you're like, oh, I haven't thought about that for years. Well, that happened. And it was a memory of my first experience at secondary school. Now, um, many of you already know this, but I grew up in deepest, darkest Devon in the middle of nowhere. And so the primary school I went to couldn't have been more rural and small. And it was the sort of primary school where people would just, it was quite normal for them to turn up on a horse or a donkey or a tractor or like have a cow randomly with them or something like that. And, um, and our playground was in fact not just a concrete playground, it was a wood. And because back in those days, back in the 90s, people didn't seem to care so much about like health and safety. Um, we could literally go off into the wood and climb all the trees and get stuck in the bog and go as far as we wanted. There were literally no limits to how far we could go. And then eventually you'd kind of hear this old rusty bell in the distance and you'd trudge your way back with like leaves and fir tree and mud all over you. And it was great. And um, I'm sure I learned a lot as well. And, um, and then, um, for reasons I won't go into, I was homeschooled for a couple of years after that. And, um, but I did go into secondary school every now and then to learn things and um, experience secondary school. Well, secondary school was like the opposite to my little primary school. It was in the very big city of this tiny town that is actually Taunton. But for me, it seemed really, really big. <laughs> and um, <laughs> the primary school had like two um, tower blocks. And so you'd be in one tower block, the bell would ring, and you'd have to sort of go through this long building with a long corridor between the two buildings to the other class at the other side of the school. Well, what would happen if you timed it wrong, which was always, was this thing that we like to call the crush. And let me explain to you what the crush is. So you're trying to leave your class to get to the other end of the school in time for your next class. And um, the whole school would be doing exactly the same thing. So you'd be trudging along, and then suddenly you get to this kind of bottleneck in the corridor, and this is when the crash happened. So you'd be going along, and then this mass on a wave of spotty, acne teenagers would be coming behind you, and they would be pushing you, but at the same time, another kind of flood of hair gel and acne would be coming towards you because it was the 90s, you know, the hair gel. And you'd, and you'd just be get crushed, and then, because I was a quite a small 11-year-old, my little legs would be kind of off the floor at this point, dragged through this bottleneck corridor and popped out the other end with my rucksack kind of hanging off. And it was terrifying. I was really scared. And I imagine for the people of Israel in the big place of Babylon, that is a little bit of what they would have felt like, but obviously on a much, much bigger scale. So just to quickly recap, how did the people of Israel get into Babylon? So remember, the land was divided into two kingdoms. You've got the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. 
The kingdom of Israel had already been um, taken captive into Assyria. Babylon takes over. And Judah experienced the trauma of seeing their, ta- their houses, their temple, their palaces pillaged, burnt. And then they get taken off eventually into exile in Babylon. So that's where they are now at this moment. Now, I don't know what you imagine. When I say Babylon, I wonder if you've got a picture in your head of what it was like. Well, I'm going to try and explain a little bit and paint you a bit of a picture of what it was like. So Babylon was, as you may remember, the place where the Tower of Babel was constructed, which was designed to reach to the heavens. And the whole city its whole ideology and theology was constructed and designed around this ideology of power. And like every other ancient Near Eastern place, they believed in polytheism. So they believed that there were lots and lots of gods, but that their gods were the best gods. Their gods were the greatest gods. So their whole city was designed around elevating their gods. And every year, at the new year, they would have a new year festival where they would reenact the story of their gods. The city would be filled with songs and praises and dramas and feasts. And finally, it would all culminate in carrying these massive idols of their like super big bad god, Marduk, and his son. They would carry them through the thoroughfare of the city, which was designed for this specific moment. And they would be processed through the city and thousands of people lining the street would cry out, Marduk is king. And they would give him a scepter and a royal robe and a throne and magical weapons. And then there'd be this final banquet and they would recite the litany of the 50 names of Marduk and praise his incomparable greatness. They would say, none among the gods can equal Marduk. And if you're interested in this stuff, if you're like me, a nerd, um, I recommend the British Museum because you can go and see some of the um, the manuscripts, not manuscripts, they're cut into stone, um, and you can see the kind of reconstructed gates of Babylon. There's just one, and it's massive, and it's beautiful blue with gold engravings, and that would just be one of the many gates they would have processed through. I've got someone nodding over there. So all of that is going on around them. Imagine how small and how lost the people of Israel must have felt. But I'm going to suggest that the worst thing was that they had started to believe, in amongst all of this going on around them, that God was small and distant and weak. And I think, if I'm honest, I think that's the temptation for us, living in a world that appears to have all the answers that appears in our present situation to be more powerful than God. It can feel like God is small and distant and weak. And I don't know about you, but if I'm very honest, sometimes when I tell people I'm a Christian, I feel like I'm being laughed at. I don't know if you've had that experience. You feel laughed at. And I was watching a TV show the other day called Would I Lie to You? Hashtag Wilty. And um, some of you may already know it. If you don't know it, the format is there are two teams. Um, they're kind of celebrities on both teams. And then one member from the team would read out a card and it would have something about their life in it. And then the other team have to guess whether they're telling a truth or a lie. It's very good. I recommend it. It's fun. Um, 
And on this episode, the Reverend Kate Botley was on it. And there was this really horrible moment where one of the comedians massively took the mick out of her for being a Christian and believing that there was a God. And they all laughed. And the audience all laughed. And if I'm honest, it can feel like that in my life. In this day and age, you believe that there's God. But the truth is that the world who thinks they are beyond God, who think they have all the answers, they have not found peace. And that's really clear to see, don't you think? And that's what this passage says, verse 18. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would be like a river. Your righteousness, or in the NIV, your well-being would be like the waves of the sea. And then the final verse, verse 22 says, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. I don't know if you've ever said that expression. There's no peace for the wicked, no rest for the wicked. Or if ever you've been on the phone and then someone, like the doorbell rings and someone goes, oh, no rest for the wicked. Um, Well, this is where it comes from. But actually, the peace it talks about here is much more than kind of like a bit of a break in in a busy day. It's shalom. It means wholeness. It means completeness. So God is saying there is no wholeness, there is no completeness for those who do not follow me, and it breaks God's heart. God wants those who he has made to fully experience the wholeness and completeness that they were made for. So how are the people of Israel to experience peace, to experience shalom in the midst of Babylon? How are we to experience wholeness and completeness in the world that we live in? Well, this is the lesson from the passage. Firstly, we find peace from knowing who God is and then who we are in God. And secondly, as a result of knowing who God is and who we are in God, God directs us in the way we should go. So firstly, we find peace from knowing who God is and who we are in God. The passage begins very powerfully with a statement of who God is. Verse 12. Listen to me, Jacob, Israel, whom I have called. I am he. I am the first and I am the last. Three times God says, I am. God is Trinity. God is the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And Jenny Williams says this about this short but very powerful philosophical point. She says, in claiming that he simply is, all human categories and understandings are dependent on him. All human constructs must be penetrated by his reality. In other words, anything that constructs its own identity outside of the reality of God is not complete is not whole, does not have shalom. And what was so abhorrent to God, if you remember the Tower of Babel, was so abhorrent because it was a human construct that tried to reach the heavens so that they could become like God, but without reference to God, apart from God. But ironically, in doing that, in separating their identity from the God who made them, they became the very opposite 
of God. They became inward-facing, self-destructive. You see, God is love. And that means by God's very nature, God is outward-facing. To put it this way, because God is Trinity, God can never be introspective. Augustine puts it like this. He says, God is loving, loving, loving. The Father loves the Son, loves the Spirit, loves the Father. And it goes on like that for eternity. And if we look at the way God created this world with the ecosystems and the interdependency of nature, if we look at humanity, if we look at ourselves, we know that we were designed for interconnectedness and for community. I've been reading a book called The Source of Love by Heidi Russell. And this is what she says about God as Trinity. I'll read it slow. She says, The Trinity trinitizes the universe by drawing what was isolated and separate into greater unity and being. God is the incomprehensible wellspring of love at the heart of an expanding universe. I love that. I could just dwell on that all day. But I don't know if you've noticed, but our culture seems more and more intent on isolation. The way the world is, is I did it my way. You do you, and I'll do me. And I had a friend once say that to me, and it really upset me. You do you, I'll do me. And I'm just going to read you a few lines from a very famous song. You'll recognize it, hopefully. Join in if you... No, don't join in. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway, and more, much, much more. I did it. I did it my way. For what is man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has naught. Not to say the things that he truly feels, and not the words of someone who kneels. Let the record show. I took the blows. I did it my way. If there is a song for our time, I think Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way would be it. Um, Jim Carrey, a comedian and actor, said this in a recent interview. He said, what's happening right now inside everybody is they're going, who am I? And they're depressed. And they go like, why am I depressed? Well, it's because they're trying to be something for the world. And um, he's not talking there about the mental illness of depression, but I think you get the point. And as Christians, we are meant to be something because we are loved by the one who is, the one who is the first and the last. And what's really sad about Frank Sinatra is apparently his last words were, I'm losing. And not to be too dramatic, but I really hope that when I come to meet with Jesus face to face, when I get to the end of my days, I really hope I don't say, I'm losing. I hope I say, I'm winning. And the result of knowing who God is and knowing who we are in God brings us peace and wholeness and completeness. And then God leads us in the way we should go. The freedom comes in this passage. The shalom comes when Israel remembers who God is and they remember what he has done and what he is going to do. So verse 17 says this, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you. 
in the way you should go. And then he tells them that he will rescue them again from Babylon. And then he reminds them, just to encourage them, that he did before rescue them. He says, they did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow from the rock. He split the rock and water gushed out. And finally, in verse 20, he says, leave Babylon, flee the Babylonians. Announce this with shouts of joy and proclaim it. Send it out to the ends of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. I think for us it would be so easy, wouldn't it? It would be the easiest option to let our minds be conformed by the world around us. To let our life be directed in the way of the world, in the path that the world takes. That it is about me, myself and I. But that's not God's best for us. That's not shalom. We need to be in community to remind each other of the things that God has done, is doing, and will do. To practice living in constant communication with God, the one who directs our lives. I love um, Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. And um, I've definitely not got this down completely. Like, I definitely am not great at this, perfect at this, but I'm working towards it. And so one of the ways I just live my day-to-day life is I, I imagine that God is like a friend with me always. So I chat to God. Like, I go, God, look at that. Look at that sunset. That is amazing. You made that. That's incredible. Look at the sunrise. Wow, God, that's so cool. Listen to the birds. Wow. Or I'll go, I'm so tired. God, please help me right now. I can't have any more caffeine. Please be with me right now. You know, just that constant communication and chatting with God. And um, the other day, um, this is a little example of how then God prompted me and directed my mind pattern. Um, This was over the new year and um, some friends were coming to stay. And for those of you who know me, um, you might know that I'm not naturally maternal and patient with small children. It's a bit of a confession. Um, and, but they were coming and they had these two young kids who were very kind of, very excitable and hyper, and yeah, great, lovely. Um, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and then in my head as I was planning for them to come, I was like, oh, I know what I'll do. This is my thought pattern. I'll make this room in the house. I can't believe I thought this. I'll make it really nice. I'll like set it up so it's really cool and they'll really enjoy it. And what will happen is they'll come and the kids will just stay in there. <laughs> and, um, and immediately this, this prompt from the Holy Spirit came, like a bit of a slap on the wrist, kind of a, wait, stop. And it stopped me in my tracks and God said, listen to yourself. You need to love them like I love them. You need to welcome them into your home. And I was so convicted, and I promise you that it was not a thought that was my thought, because I don't think like that. It was so the Holy Spirit prompting me and changing the direction of my thoughts. And then what happened was, because my thought pattern was changed, when they came, I had a lovely time. We had a really fun time together. And they now call me Auntie Katie. So, you know. Um, (laughs) So I think, thank you, yes. so I think it's a bit like that. It's living as though it were true. As though God really is with us, even in Babylon, even in the culture and climate that we're living in. God is with us. And I think the more we become receptive to the Holy Spirit prompting us in the small things, the more he will lead us in the way we should go in the big things. So to finish, shalom, wholeness and completeness from 
comes from knowing who God is and who we are in God and then allowing him to direct the way we should go in another, in another way, um, putting it another way. When we are hidden in Christ, truly and utterly hidden and found in him, only then are we found. Amen. The worship team would come and join me up front. Let's just, um, let's just pause for a moment just in prayer on this. Father, for where we've settled for things that are weak, where our lives are directed by things that are not sufficient, are not you, where we've given in to less than your call for us, pray that you would help us and change us. Help us to find your peace, your wholeness, what you have for us. Pray that you'd help us to stand in that place and try to remain in that place, especially in a world that needs to see that and needs to know that as well. So help us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship. Oh, creation, stand in 
service and we pray a prayer of blessing. There's loads from that sermon to think about and process and I'd encourage you to maybe talk with someone else about it. Um, maybe or write out some prayers or something in response. But let me pray a prayer of blessing right now. This is from 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen. Yeah, Sharon, come. I've been struggling with this one because it seems a bit, I don't know. Anyway, I think I've had a picture of a polar bear on an ice cap and the ice cap's melting. And um, the polar bear's wondering which way to go. And then on the ice cap is little mouse. And um, the mouse turns the polar bear round. And because the water's going down, the, it's melting, but the water's going down, the bridge to get off this little ice flow where he's been marooned is coming up through the water. And the mouse leads the polar bear across the bridge to safety. If that's you, come and chat. If you're a polar bear or a mouse, um, come and chat and I'll pray. Um, as well, someone else earlier had a, had a picture of, um, of a rope being pulled on and there being some sort of a knot in the middle that was in the way or something like this. Um, and, and just thought, asked if, you know, if, if, if I wanted to share that. Um, so if any of that's helpful for you, obviously grab onto it and pray into it. Um, Bless you guys. Have a great week, and we will see you back here again soon.